For the rest of us, I encourage you to open your Bibles to this text that was just read in 1 Corinthians um, 13. We, if you were here back in December, we looked at this passage already, but it's so important and there's so much in it that I thought, what a good way to revisit it as we begin the new year. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When I was in my mid-20s, I was living uh, with my parents temporarily in Michigan. Uh, I didn't know anyone there because they had moved there when I had been away in Europe. But I was back now living with mom and dad, and I was lonely, and I was unhappy. I I was looking, I was searching for what to do with my life next. I didn't know where I was going to be. I didn't know anyone. And my desire was I wanted to uh, help start a church. I wanted that kind of experience um, to get some experience doing that. And after a number of months, I finally found an opportunity that I was excited about in Washington, D.C. So I was very eager. I was so happy after that difficult time to finally have a direction and, and a new beginning. So much so, I was so excited that I started listening to hip hop. Now, I had never liked hip-hop, but I knew that hip-hop was big in D.C., and I was very excited to be going to D.C., and so I was trying to embrace my new exciting future, which would no doubt include listening to a lot of hip-hop. I was eagerly learning the language of my future. And that's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to do in today's passage. Only the language of our future is not hip-hop. Some of you will be happy to know. Some of you will be disappointed to know. But the language of our future is love. Love is our future. Love is coming. In fact, love is our destiny. That's Paul's message to us in today's passage. Verse 8. Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When love finally fully comes, all that is partial will disappear. And love will last forever. Right now, there's nothing in our lives more important than faith, hope, and love. That's the way this chapter ends. But the greatest of them is love. Because love is the one that will last forever. Love is the language of our future. So I don't know about you, but I want to learn it now. And that's what Paul encourages the Corinthians and us to do in today's passage. To live in light of our destiny, to prepare for our future, and to begin living the life of the future now by living a life of love now. Now, for many of us who've who've heard this before, this is really a reminder. I know it's a reminder that I need. Because... In, in the world today, it's so easy to forget about love. 
The world has largely forgotten about love. Oh, we use the word love often enough, but we've largely forgotten love itself. Instead, we love a new restaurant we found, or we love something on our Instagram feed. But when it comes to loving people, well, social media could actually, can actually be the worst, right? <laughs> Think of all of the hate that social media has become famous for with canceling and doxing and trolling. And for many on social media, they're very righteous and they're very moral and they're very justified about their hate. They think they're fighting the good fight. Fighting for what's right by hating and attacking people that they disagree with. And Christians have got caught, gotten caught up in this too. Very much so. Because many Christians are fighting the great culture war. Now, I'm very sympathetic to some of what they're fighting for and for their courage and conviction to seek after it. And sure, the Apostle Paul has told us to fight the good fight as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. But he's also told us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And Paul's reminded us that Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. But somehow instead, some Christian influencers have all these arguments about why we need to attack our enemies and bring them down. The soul of our nation is at stake, they say. We've got to fight for God's values here in our country. But the truth is, very often when we're engaged in that fight, love goes out the window. So we need to be reminded of love. All the more in today's culture. But the question, you know, what is love anyway? Do we remember what love is? Is love a warm feeling? Is it the feeling of being in love? The warm feeling we have for a good friend or for a family member that we love? Or is love about being nice to people or accepting? Well, not really. Those are really sometimes part of what love is, um, but only part and only sometimes. In fact, because what people often mean by love when, when they use that word today is an affectionate feeling or a romantic feeling or a sentimental feeling, I'm not sure love is, is the best word to describe or to translate what Paul is talking about here in today's passage or what the Bible is talking about when it uses the word agape, which is the Greek word that Paul uses here that is translated as love. So I'm going to switch and I'm going to use the word agape for the rest of this, this message. And forgive me if that feels weird, but I'm not sure the word love today really means the same thing that the word agape that Paul is actually using here means. So what is agape? Agape is seeking the benefit of others. Seeking the good of others. Seeking what's best for others, even if it means disadvantaging ourselves in order to advantage someone else. Let me say that again. Agape is seeking the good of others, 
even if it means disadvantaging ourselves in order to advantage others. That's agape. That's agape. Is it a feeling? Sometimes. Sure, our feelings can be part of it, but it's more than a feeling. It's a way of life. Agape involves our choices, our habits, our actions. There was an old song that said, love is a verb. It was a hip-hop song, actually. (laughs) Well, in today's passage, Paul describes that verb. Paul describes what agape does. In verses 4 to 6, interestingly, every word Paul uses to describe agape in these verses is a verb. Now, a lot of English translations have turned them into nouns because it reads better, it flows better, but I'm going to give you a more literal translation, preserving the verbs, preserving the actions. So starting in verse 4, agape suffers long. Agape acts with kindness. Agape does not envy. It does not boast. It does not become puffed up. Agape does not dishonor others. It doesn't seek what's best for oneself. Agape does not get easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. All verbs, agape, love, is a busy little thing. Agape is a way of life, not just a feeling or a sentiment, though again, it can certainly involve our emotions. Well, agape is hard, right? Our heart doesn't always feel like loving in these selfless ways. So here's what Christians often do. We opt for religion instead. We pursue religion instead of agape. That's what the Corinthians were doing. And that's why Paul has to call them out in verses 1 to 3. He says, if I, and this is what they're doing, if I speak in tongues, in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have agape... I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have agape, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have agape, I gain nothing. What would you add? If I am the first to show up every time the doors of this church building are open and I stay to clean up and I'm the last one to turn off the lights and lock the door, but I don't have agape, I am nothing. I have more passion for Jesus if I sing louder, if I have more commitment than anyone else. If I read my Bible more faithfully, but I don't have agape, I'm nothing. 
If I enthusiastically serve on all the committees, but I don't have agape, I gain nothing. If I give more money than anyone else and I pray more than, than everyone else and I serve my neighbors more than anyone else. If I see more clearly than, than anyone else where our church should be headed and, and what this whole Jesus thing is about, but I don't have agape, it's all worth nothing. Why? Because agape is our future. Love is coming. God is bringing it into being. And one day when Jesus returns and makes this world as it should be, and we are all together in God's presence, it will all be agape. Agape is the new symphony Jesus is teaching the whole world to sing. And if we're not in sync with it, then we're singing out of tune. And we're wasting our time and we're wasting everyone's time. Now question, I thought a lot of these things that Paul listed in verses 1 to 3 were loving actions. I mean, if, if love is an action that seeks the good of others, then what could be more loving, for example, than giving what I have to the poor? And isn't doing extra work to, to serve and help and make this church work or to reach out to our neighbors um, and to do that for everyone else, isn't that loving? Isn't that exactly what agape is? Maybe. But here's the question. When we look at your whole life, when we look at my whole life, when I'm not at church and nobody's watching, and I'm interacting with my family or my coworkers or whoever, am I living, am I treating others in such a way that more and more I'm not seeking my own good, but I'm seeking the good of those others? Does my giving to the poor or my serving in church or whatever, does that rhyme with my whole life? Is it in tune with the rest of my life? Am I a loving person? Am I an agape person when I'm at school, when I'm at home, when I'm at work, when I'm at church? Or are my religious actions out of tune with the way I treat people and live my life, especially when nobody from church is looking. But even at church, how do I treat the people? How do I think about the people? How do I talk about the people who aren't there with me, passionate and committed and giving sacrificially like I am? Do I look down on them just a little bit? Maybe feel just a little bit superior? That's not agape. Agape isn't puffed up. It keeps no record of wrongs. It suffers long with people. And it's not resentful. Well, this is a high bar, isn't it? I know I fall short much too often. I'm still growing into this agape business, still learning to sing on tune and on key. 
And that's why I'm preaching to myself this morning as much as anyone else. To remind myself and to remind all of us that agape is our future and that love is coming. And so we've got to learn to, to sing this melody so more and more we can join in the great choir that is beginning to take up the song of agape. A song that one day will overwhelm and drown out all other noises. Until one day all will be agape. And everyone will be loved by God and treat each other with love as well. Isn't that what you want? Don't you want everyone else in the world to treat each other with agape? To, to seek what's best for others, not just what's best for themselves? Don't you want others to treat you that way? Don't you want them to treat you with agape? I do. I think everyone does. We all want others to treat us and to treat each other with love, with agape. But, but here's my secret. I want everyone to love, but I want to have the option at times to be the exception to that rule. Because sometimes I don't feel very loving. and Sometimes I want to look out for me. And so sometimes I want to pass and to, and to not have to be the loving one. Right? Is anyone else with me? Yeah. And, and of course, since we all want a more loving world and, and want others to be loving to us, um, but we want to pass ourselves, that's why we have the world we have, because we're all taking that pass. Just let me give you a very simple example of this. Our family uses a lot of dishes. We make a lot of dirty dishes. We homeschool, so our kids are home a lot during the day. I often run home to grab lunch. Um, so we make a lot of dirty dishes. And so we have a rule in our house. It's kind of a, a soft rule, uh, maybe more a request from Anne than a set in stone rule, that during the day, when we make dishes, when we grab a bowl of cereal for breakfast or, or we make a sandwich for lunch, the rule is that we load our own dish in the dishwasher. Right? Good rule. Um, and I fully support it. it. It means a lot less work for Ann or for me or for whoever's got to, to load the dishes in the evening. Often it's the kids who have to do it, actually. And, and I want everyone to keep the rule. because. The kitchen works much better that way. But to be honest, personally, I find the rule a bit inconvenient sometimes. And so sometimes I don't follow it. <laughs> After all, maybe I'm in a hurry. I've got to get back to work. Or, or maybe I just forgot. You know, I have the best intentions. Or, or maybe the dishwasher's full of clean dishes and I don't want to take the time to be the one to empty it. Right? <laughs> Uh, that's the one. <laughs> that extra three minutes, which is all it actually takes to unload the dishwasher. I'd like a pass on the rule sometimes. But I would like everyone else to follow the rule scrupulously. <laughs> Can't they remember a simple rule? Can't they take that extra minute? I mean, 
how busy could they be to take that minute to load their dish? And, and so here's the question I've been asking myself. Am I going to sing in tune with agape? Or am I just going to wish others would while I do what's best for me? That's the question we all face because love is coming. Agape is our future. How long are we going to wait before we learn the language of our future? Paul says it's the greatest thing. It's the most important thing. Why? Because right now we see as in a mirror. We see a reflection, verse 12. You know, the city of Corinth was, um, that Paul's writing to here, they were world-renowned for their production of mirrors. They prided themselves in making great mirrors. So Paul's, you know, got their number here. And, and Paul says in this life, seeing Jesus is, is like that. It's, it's like you're looking at him in a mirror. Today we'd say, um, in this life, it's like we're looking at a photo of Jesus. We, we can see a lot, but it's not the same as seeing him face to face. Talking to someone on Zoom isn't the same as being there in the same room with them. One day Jesus will return and we will see him and we will see God face to face. We will be in the same room with them. And guess what we'll see? We will see that God is love. That Jesus is agape. That that's who they are and how they treat people. That they love us. And that they are inviting us to love them and to love each other perfectly and forever. Have you ever noticed that some of the greatest stories, you know, the really long ones, the meta stories like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or Star Wars, they end with weddings, don't they? Why? Because the writers intuitively sense that love should be how it all ends. And they're absolutely right. A, a wedding is how the Bible ends too, right? Read the end of the book of Revelation. With God being married to us, his people. Love is how it ends. Love is how the story ends. And so every act of love for us now along the way is an attempt to sing in tune with the whole universe and where it's all heading. Will you join me in learning to sing that tune? Because love is coming. So question for you as we close. What might this look like for you this week? Who do you need to love? Who do you need to uh, put yourself aside and, and do what's best for this week? And how will you do that? I want to give you a minute just to think about that silently. Who do you need to put yourself aside for this week in order to do what's best for them? And what will that look like? Take a minute and think about it.
There's a picture I was, I was reading yesterday in uh, the children's book, Narnia. And there's, there's a, a scene in there where um, Aslan, who's the Christ figure in the story, is asking a little girl named Lucy to do something very hard. And uh, she loves Aslan and she kind of wants to do it, but she's scared and it's really hard. And she buries herself in Aslan's mane. Um, and as she does, she realizes that suddenly she has the courage and the desire that she needs to do the hard thing. And so, God, I want to pray um, as we think about loving other people this week. Sometimes it feels hard. Sometimes we don't have within ourselves what we need to do it. And so we want to bury our face in your mane of love and help us to experience your love. Pour your love into our hearts. Give us a fresh experience of your love so that we have the love we need to pass on to others. As we sang this morning about the deep, deep love of Jesus. Amen.